0: Welcome to Talks, a bunch of, well, Talks with builders that have things to say about DAOs, Web3, life, and uh, other things. Today, I'm talking to Daniel Ospina. Originally, Daniel wanted to be a chef, but after stints in fast-paced UK kitchens, he realized their organization model was dysfunctional. The head chef got all the accolades and respect, while the source chefs barely got their ideas heard. This led him to a journey in organizational design, and then he discovered Web3 and DAOs. Seeing a lot of duplication efforts in the ecosystem, he followed RnDAO, our a our research and development DAO, the goal of doing research on behalf of DAOs. We'll be covering that as well as the pros and cons of different DAO frameworks, what liquidity, democracy means, and much more. First, however, I have to make, again, a statement requested by our lawyers. Here it comes. The information this podcast is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. Without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. It is not intended to be and does not constitute financial advice, investment advice, trading advice, or any other advice. By the way, if you're listening to this podcast on Spotify or Apple or Google or any other platform, consider heading over to talk.delhas.com. That is talk. dot com. Um you're getting the exact same podcast that you listen to now plus an interactive transcript and uh, links to topic sites and people and more talks on let's jump in
1: Daniel Ospina, how are you great thank you um it's a it's a sunny winter afternoon I'm Kind of relax. It's been a relatively slow day. Uh, so it's good to, to change from a bit of deep work and actually have a conversation. How are you?
0: I'm good. I actually had um, actually another question mind, which is, if I was to come over to your place to do this interview, what would you cook for me? I think you have a background as a chef and in kitchen. What do you still cook yourself and why? What's
1: your favorite <laughs> Oh, very interesting question. Um, actually, I have a, an, obsessed, an obsession with sandwiches. I, I really, really love them. I evolve over time the sandwich that has bagels, uh, a pistachio a wild boar mozzarella that they sell in a day with mine, mayonnaise, tomato, lettuce, and, and a really nice mozzarella. Uh, and sometimes a little bit of smoke speck. And and I have that about two, three times a week. So
0: if I was come over, this is what I would get served today?
1: Yeah, that would have been it.
0: And with what? With a glass of water, some juice, wine, beer?
1: Water, usually. I drink a lot of water.
0: Very good. Smart decision. So you coming from a background as a chef or in the culinary space, I read that. We're going to talk about this a little bit um later but now before asking you how you got there you're now mostly dedicated to what i think it's rn that's the latest thing what i've seen on your twitter um tell me a bit more what is it and what are you really spending your time on like what you've been i don't know if you went to denver i don't i'm not 100 percent sure but what did you spend your last week on and what are you spending you know you're in the uk when pretty much in the same time zone what are you spending your time and how does your day pass? What do the hours fill up with?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, as you were saying, that's very much my focus at the moment. I I actually decided not to go to, to Denver this time. I, I stay back. Um, usually what I'm doing at the moment in the morning is spending a lot of time doing deep work, like reviewing documents, either doing a bit of consultancy on the side or preparing workshops with we uh is a baby initiative. We're very much taking this approach where we we set up different work streams where, to try to be very decentralized from the start. So we have different people leading different areas. And instead of having meetings, uh, what we have is a lot of workshops. So usually in the mornings, I'm either preparing a workshop for my work stream or doing a little bit of uh, async work. And then in the afternoons is participating or leading one of these workshops, depending on on which area it is. And, and so we are using that very sort of facilitative management style to, to build this initiative. And, and what, the, what the initiative is, is actually about is that we, through having a lot of conversations with, with different DAOs and having participating in many DAOs, design DAOs, and so on, um, I, I used to head governance at Aragon and, and so on. And and what I was seeing is that there is a lot of duplication of work in the ecosystem. And especially everyone is trying to figure out what a DAO is, how DAO should operate, what kind of processes should have. And as well, there is all these projects creating tooling for that. But usually the the projects themselves, they they operate as regular startups. and, And so they have, a, a very limited attention span to, to really dig very deep into a problem. They have incentives to very quickly get to a prototype that some people like and just kind of start building. And, and really what matters there is adoption. It doesn't necessarily matter so much if you're, if you're really solving the, the underlying issue, if you're creating new, better possibilities for organizations uh, that can be seen a little bit more of like a nice to have. Uh, And and so quite often, a a lot of these DAO tooling startups, they end up copying Web2 approaches into Web3. Uh, Also, from the DAO's perspective, they're kind of in the same situation where there's all of these people joining from from Web2, from different other other contexts, uh, without themselves being necessarily organizational scientists or experts in self-management or any of these... Groups or communities that have spent a lot of time thinking about DAOs. There is a few people who are very savvy, but in, but the majority of people they just come from a more traditional background. And and as they're trying to create an offering, whether a product or service or whatever the DAO is trying to do, they're they're trying to innovate on that side, and they're trying to also innovate on on the organization itself, on the DAO. And and so they tend to look for okay, what do I know that can sort of do the job? And it's not necessarily. A great solution is just something that's workable for now and that I'm comfortable with. So because of this set of incentives, we're now seeing a lot of Web2 patterns coming into into Web3 and the the whole ideas of DAOs, or at least what I was seeing in the early stages where there were a lot more experimental, a lot more ambitious, a lot more of these sort of whiteboard to, to try and invent better organizations is getting diluted. And, and it's not it's quite often not because people don't want to. It's because it's actually really complicated to bring together all the all the different expertise and point of views and to think deeply about all of these different challenges and come up with better solutions uh, when you're trying to move fast and create your product and so on. And and so what we're what we're trying to do with our DAO is instead of each DAO doing this in isolation, is we can pull resources from across different DAOs, bring them together prioritize a set of, of challenges that need research, that need figuring out, bring together a community, an interdisciplinary community of people with deep expertise uh, around organizational topics, and, and do some research initiatives to provide insights, combining user research, a little bit of ethnographic research, uh, reviewing the academic literature, uh, reviewing previous case studies from different communities, what kind of things we can learn from the past and so on, and, and process all of these data and go, okay, these are uh, a set of really cool possibilities. And once then once we have that, we we also want to do a, a bit of development. And so we can turn some of those insights in the situations where, or funding partners where our community cannot directly tackle the insights, that, let's say the product requirements that are coming out of that, when there are some gaps, we can also dedicate some of the resources that we have uh, brought together to create some tools uh, like software tools different solutions that, uh, that otherwise wouldn't have existed. So are you,
0: first question, what does RNDAO stand for?
1: Research and development DAO, mm-hmm. for DAOs, by DAOs. Very good.
0: And do you, do you see yourself more focused on the DAOs and their problems? And helping them to find the solution. And I know it's complementary and it goes from both sides. Or do you feel you are more focused on working with the Dow tooling side to tailor to a need? I know that this is a market from both sides. But how is what's your current focus and what you know? What was the initial idea and how has this developed in practical so, terms?
1: So, so the the way it works, we're a, a multi-sided. Platform. So we are bringing together uh, a range of funding partners, and these are mostly DAO tooling DAOs. So they're they're DAOs building tools for DAOs, and they have a vested interest in growing the DAO ecosystem, in increasing adoption of DAOs. So, uh, as well, they're trying to figure out how to update their product and so on. So we help them by by carrying the, the research that informs their product strategy, that can also inform how they operate as a DAO, but that research itself is not based exclusively on the challenges of DAO tooling projects, it's based on the challenges of DAOs. So the output of that research can help DAOs at large to, to inform DAO design and, and to inform DAO design. So the The idea so far, the way we're we're evolving the model is that the DAO tooling projects, they pay for this research, and so they get early access. And and that gives them a little bit of a head start to start building solutions. But then we publish the research open source, which helps everybody, helps to grow and nurture the, the ecosystem at large. But also since the DAO tooling projects have already been developing solutions, thanks to these insights, well, either the DAO tooling projects or ourselves, when, as, as, as we were saying, when we spot gaps, we, we might develop the, some tools ourselves, uh, evolving towards a little bit of a venture incubator. Um, but so once, the, once we start to publish this research and so on, and, and people start to go, okay, this is actually um, uh, interesting ideas on how I can improve the way we're operating as a DAO. And, it, and at that point, it doesn't matter if you're a DAO tooling project or an NFT based DAO or any, any sort of DAO really. Um, we start to have some of those solutions not far behind to come to market and facilitate the sort of processes that we are suggesting. Uh, so the, the tools kind of come there to to essentially help people implement the insights as, a, as an enabler, uh, knowing that they, they might not be necessary in every case. It's more a matter of facilitating the processes. Perfect. So let me
0: let me look at this from two perspectives, so people can better understand this, um, you know, hands-on. One of the businesses I'm involved in very actively is, you know, a distributed marketing agency. So, assume there's about 100 people, designers, developers, consultants, content writers, and so on. And, you know, there's five different agencies operating under the same brand. And the idea there is all of these Entities currently don't actually have a physical office. So it's all already distributed, decentralized, and you could say really disorganized. <laughs> <laughs> and let's say we would want to, and this is a real conversation, we would actually transform this into some form of DAO and sub DAO structure. Um, what would be a way for an organization like us to engage with our end DAO? And what would it take? Um, and what would you know? Concrete work actually look like? Um, are we even you know, as a traditional organization that is decentralizing uh, onto you know, onto the chain? Is this even you know, a organization that fits into the schema that you currently have? So
1: you, there, there is not a lot of of at the moment. There is not a lot that we can do together. Uh, unless you actually want to evolve this organization and specifically start creating DAO tooling. Um, at that point, it might make a little bit more sense to, to work together at this early stage. Once- I'm, I'm thinking
0: about the DAO side, right? Because you are, are and, and just to make this clear, I was thinking about this from the DAO side, looking for the right tools and best practices is, is that is that an engagement point there? Because I get it from the other side. If we would create DAO tools, or how
1: how does it how does it work? So once we start to to have some of the research outputs at the beginning, we started with a first research initiative around the the life cycle of DAOs and the key challenges at every step. So that's essentially understanding what are the different paths that organizations take to become a DAO from being another, either a baby, some sort of centralized uh, startup, or either a more mature organization, and then they want to become a DAO. And how, how does that happen? Or or what does the path look like for really early stage decentralizations? You have a community, and then you're trying to DAOify and so on. So we want to map those challenges and, uh, and, the, and those journeys. So people can can have some case studies on, and understand where they are in that progression and as well be able to benchmark DAOs. So that's, that's at least... a this first exploration that we're doing. Once we have that output, uh, and that's not out there yet, it will probably take a, a couple of months. Is once that's out there, that will be open source, and so you can use all of those uh, all of those insights to to better design your DAO. And 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 then of course some of our members, this is a DAO, so people also work part time and so on. And consult some, sometimes can consult and so on but right now we don't have a consulting offer uh you come to us i'll be like well really cool project i wish you all the best uh but i'm not but i'm not really going to help you because we it's not what we're doing um over time though uh you will have all of those different information resources that can help you and and the, yeah i mean that does that's, that's basically it. unless uh and mm. we do have a few of these conversations with other more mature organizations or organizations that have a little bit more significant funding and they are, well, I wanna operate as a DAO and there is this big question that I have and I don't know how to address it. And it because there will be other people who are in the same situation, it doesn't make sense. Like it's not a question that is the, let's say, proprietary to your business model. It's not the, the key competitive example. advantage, it's more something you need. So if you had those a specific question, excuse me. An example? example? Uh, how do I do really well an onboarding process, or yeah, or conflict resolution in DAOs? How do I approach that? So you can come to us uh, and say, uh, I cannot find any good resources to figure this out. Uh, there is different people doing things out there, but I don't really have the time myself to do the to go around and do the research. Could you help us with that? And and we'll effectively take or user researchers or anyway or uh, academics and so on synthesize all of that and come back to you and say these are uh, a series of patterns that you can use and specifically for your situation this is how you can use it Um, and then that information will be made available to to other DAOs as well uh, which gives you brand recognition as well you'll be the sponsor of that sort of brand report and so on so that can also have some marketing benefits for you and and if other DAOs are also interested in that so we're you're splitting the cost uh, across other projects. So it's essentially less expensive than doing it on your own and uh, joint, I- joint research.
0: You're coordinating a joint research effort to perfect, understood. Let's change over to the other side. You know, your DAO, uh, DAO uh, tooling, um, you know, taking the example of us, we have, you know, our project has evolved and kind of morphed more into an infrastructure layer, but. um, Initially, you know, where we started was a payout tool for DAOs, right? And there's, you know, half a dozen or so out of them that you can plug in. What if, if I'm building tools for DAOs? What's the way of engaging here?
1: So is is basically similar. We are uh, again starting with this first research initiative. You don't have a choice. But very soon uh, after this first one is concluded, we're going to have a landscape of problems, and and then. With that, that data of this landscape of problems, and also a few other challenges that other people might might have contributed to the to the pool, the the funding partners, so the, the mostly the DAO tooling projects, but as well there might be, as I was saying, other DAOs were just interested. The, depending on how much funding you have, you can allocate that funding across challenges according to your priorities. Uh, so we use a, a quadratic voting, which is a specific way to, to weight the, the votes but essentially allows people to distribute votes according to different options and the output of that is going to give us a prioritization of challenges to research and we just set our a research team to start going through them um, and, and providing answers. And, and then uh, comes the, the development side where because the, like the, the thesis that a lot of these DAO tooling providers are arriving to infrastructure projects is that since a lot of these uh, tools are open source, since the ecosystem is really, really new and evolving really rapidly, what tends to be a winning strategy is modularity and composability. So creating a tool that is very good at doing one thing, but then can interface and complement itself and plug in together with other tools to create a a broader solution. So as as we gather this community of infrastructure providers of DAO tooling projects, some of the solutions that are needed might be combinations of what they do, or might be an extension to their current product, or might be a new feature that they currently don't offer and so on. And, And so we also have the development capacity to, combine these different uh, these different tools to provide a more complex solution or if needed even create a new a new tool that integrates with what they're doing. So over time what that does is that it, it essentially expands considerably the functionalities, the number of use cases that your product can do, it adds integrations and so on. And through and doing that, it essentially adds net, network effects and improves the the usability of DAOs at large. In so doing,
0: very good, um, w- very well put. Then now, if you you said very early, and I believe that's you know has likely contributed a lot to the vision for you and your contribution at R&DAO, Um That what you're seeing is that a lot of DAOs um, or DAO tools, and you know, correct me. Um, where necessary, are kind of going back to Web 2 approaches or Web 2 solutions, or they let themselves influenced by Web 2 thinking. What do, you, what do you mean by that? And can you provide some examples? And why do you think this is a really bad idea?
1: So uh, specifically, I'm, I'm referring to more command and control Sort of approaches where you create um, a hierarchy of people, so you have a, a, a CEO at the top, and they delegate responsibility to a few others, and they delegate responsibility to a few others. I, in the, I personally think it's a terrible idea in, in Web three because we are in a in a very nascent space that is very fast paced, evolving incredibly incredibly fast, very very complex, loads of topics that require very deep expertise. And what hierarchies usually do is they, they filter information upwards until they get to a decision maker who can actually make the decision. And in, in these filtering, you lose a lot of information and you lose a lot of time. So these big hierarchies like traditional corporations are not very good at adapting. They tend to create uniformity. They tend to create economies of scale. Like if you're trying to produce some, manufacture something at tr- tremendous scale, they're very good. Uh, if you're trying to create things that are very uniform and standard they're very good uh, but when we're talking in the context of a rapidly evolving industry of software of uh, also like the, the a very a situation where innovation and new ideas have a lot of value then by creating these hierarchies, you you stifle a lot of that. And and what we are seeing already is that Web3 is where is really winning against Web2, like where we're saying it is like, is when the the Google engineers, the Facebook engineers and so on are leaving because they don't like their jobs anymore. And they're finding here an approach that is more community driven, where they feel more autonomy, where they feel more empowered and so on and so on. And so be careful we might end up reproducing a lot of the, the patterns that these corporations have used, like OKRs and top-down decision-making and so on, and embed that into the tools, uh, which is, again, is starting to happen. Now, it's not necessarily that we need to completely invent something in Web3 that's new. There is already a lot of thinking that's happened before that Like decentralized organizations have existed for a while. Like yourself, you have a sort of decentralized or distributed agency and so on, that is not quite a DAO. And, and in many organizations like yours and many people who have studied those sort of things, there is already a lot of learnings. So for me, what's really important is to take a lot of those learnings, combine them with the fundamental principles of Web3 and, and really use like a principle first approach to imagine how do we really want to design organizations for the, the situation that, that we have uh, and then create solutions from those bases rather than being like, Oh, here is a Kanban board. Uh, let me just use that the way it's been used by Asana or by Trello exactly in exactly in the same way, um, which might get you adoption, but but then is counterproductive in the medium to long term.
0: So would you say, you know you because you pointed this out that you know the web three ecosystem is very nascent early. And there's a lot of opportunity in being dynamic and kind of plugged into, you know, the grassroots of what is happening and, you know, adapting to it. So what you're saying is, once that stage is over, the DAOs are going to transform into traditional hierarchical organizations to produce economies of scale, are we going to end up with the same kind of organizations that we have today and the DAOs are fundamentally you know uh, the way of using DAOs is going to be very different today what's going to be in the future or how do you look at it
1: so i right now we are in a in a period of extreme experimentation because there is a little bit of this white canvas and and it's coming from all the new like again the, the fundamentals were uh, open source software pseudonymity These open organizations that people are trying to create and so on. And and eventually, a lot of these challenges or the challenges that trying to operate in this environment create are going to start to have a few recurring patterns or what people call best practices, or at least a few few habits and cultural norms that are spread. So I do imagine that DAOs are going to set up a little bit more into, not necessarily a single pattern, but a set of of patterns, or you could say a, a set of blueprints that are copied over and over. And, and this usually go, goes by waves, like it, it, it's not a new thing, it's happened. Uh, forever in the history of organizations, you get a very successful organization, and then loads of people sort of copy it, and and that model gets some advantage. And then someone else figures out an innovation that that is better or that works in a different context, and then they become really successful, and then other people copy that, and so on. And 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 now we're just seeing a new wave of that. So I don't, I really don't see DAOs going back to the traditional corporate way. It just doesn't make sense uh, anymore. It's, is slower. is not really set up for the for the information age. is not really set up to manage uh, very complex, uh, adaptive work. is not really set up to to encourage well being and human flourishing. And and as people become wealthier, they also start to to demand more from their work. Uh, they they have other other desires and so on. And also we have the super complex challenges that the old organizational models are unable to to really address like climate change and so on. And we really need new patterns of organizing. So I I think we're moving forward uh, and it's more a matter in the individual cases, but also of how many organizations end up going, let's say trying to repeat history or taking these new approaches that are now available for us that ends up having quite, quite a big impact on the, the fate of the, the ecosystem at large and, and how quickly we can, let's say as a society, progress and create better places for, for people that, that distribute power, that are fairer, that enable more innovation and so on. And, and so it's, let's say it's, what we're doing is, is very much an idealistic approach where we, we know that there is a set of principles and, and ideas that are conducive to a better society at large, and can also lead to better outcomes for the the different stakeholders, for the investors, for the the workers, and, and so on. But we require to do a, a tremendous amount of effort to create really, really successful organizations here, and and that not only depends of the organizational setup, not only of the DAO, it also depends of the the sort of business models that they tackle, uh, and there is a good degree of luck. There, like sometimes uh, a really poorly organized organization or like a really toxic uh, CEO might end up uh, stepping upon an amazing opportunity and becoming extraordinarily successful at the cost of everyone else. And, and so because of that I, I do think there is a big risk, even though that organization might not survive for a very long time. Uh, the, it could still grow very quickly for a short period of time and other people might emulate it and so on. I mean, we, we have had these examples with the toxic practices of Uber and, and Facebook and so on. And these organizations are eventually forced to change, by but by, 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 by that point, so many other organizations have emulated their practices. And we have these, well, very destructive patterns spreading across the ecosystem and more people copy them and so on and they impact more people and anyway. It, it it just takes a while to get recover from those.
0: Yeah, I love this. And I, I think this is a great way of thinking about, you know, destructive patterns. Um, very interesting. From the patterns that you have seen um. so far in the history of DAOs, which is not really that long, but, you know, um, in the time that you have spent in it. What are not the destructive patterns, but what are the one, two or three patterns that you have seen that you think are already extremely successful and that you believe have a good chance of prevailing? What are the patterns that, you know, if, if I know this is likely different for types of daos and so on, but what are the three Patterns one, two, three patterns that you have seen that you would say they're going to prevail and that you would recommend anyone who is building a DAO to really, really have a look at.
1: Hmm. Um. Interesting question. Uh, let me see. There is at least a, at least two that that spring to mind quickly as a, as, a, as a top list. Uh, so one is the the DAOs that understand decision decision making and. and and follow a a more consent-oriented approach. So for that, the the difference is understanding, the importance is understanding the difference in between consent, consensus, and and a majority vote. So in consensus is everyone needs to agree. And if you want to get everyone to agree, that takes a lot of time and it's very difficult and it should be used for only very very few rare decisions uh, really because it's tremendously difficult and quite often you end up with what is called decisions by committee which are decisions that nobody loves and everyone tolerates Uh, then you have the majority majority voting which is what most DAOs are are really doing these days and for most decisions but if you have like 51% of people or 51% of the voting power that thinks that Something is a good decision. That doesn't mean that the other 49% are gonna agree, or and 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 so you can end up with communities that divide, or you can create a lot of polarization through through majority voting. Uh, it can be a very exclusionary way. And and instead of that, the from the self-management communities body of knowledge, there is this idea of consent that is more giving everyone the ability to make a decision as long as they can get good input from all of those that will be impacted or have expertise in the topic. And, and so you end up with decisions where instead of kind of like reaching the end point and going to a vote straight away, you have a more participative process of the beginning of, of gathering input and so on. But then, the, then what you're looking for is, are there any objections to this decision. It's not necessarily we all agree or we all think it's the best decision or so on, but is it a decision that is safe enough to try? Uh, and, and so you can then quickly try the decision, see how it works, and then someone else can come behind. Well, there was this other problem. I wanna, I wanna make a change and so on. And so instead of trying to create, let's say the, the perfect decision or the perfect proposal from the start, you're more working with reality, with empir- empiricism, with seeing what works, and then iterating and letting, letting other people contribute, and so on. And, and so it can be very empowering for, for people to have this uh, these possibility of like we consent to you making that decision, and so on, instead of voting it down because it's like majority doesn't, doesn't think is the best idea necessarily, or something like that. So, so this kind of culture of consent uh, has tremendous value in DAOs. The, the, other, the other pattern that I find really, really important and is now starting to emerge quite a bit is fractalization or at least the, the division of DAOs into, into substructures. So at some point there were these monolithic thing and it's just too much information processing, like not everyone wants necessarily to participate in every decision and so on. And, and you just need to start to divide things a little bit for nothing else, to create, to reduce the level of noise uh, and to create a a level of focus. So now there is more and more DAOs that are starting to experiment with either work streams or guilds or sub-DAOs or different ways to approach this pattern. But essentially what you're doing is you're figuring out what are the essential work streams or the essential areas that need to be looked after. Uh, And then you can divide uh, a very big monolithic structure into smaller structures in... And, and for the more mature DAOs, the way this starts to look, uh, to look is quite often to, to making the big organization, instead of having like these big functional sides like your huge HR department, your huge marketing department, and so on, what you have more is small teams who are autonomous and can buy and sell products uh, and services to each other whether those are marketing services or HR services and so on, but you can start to create a sort of internal economy with smaller units. And as those units grow, they can divide again and so on. So that, that's kind of like the, the other pattern that I see. And, and then perhaps there is a third one that I'm, that I'm really pushing for, but it's not really enabled yet. Like the, the current tooling doesn't really allow people to, to operate in this way which is liquid democracy. And, and liquid, liquid democracy builds uh, a little bit on, the, on top of the other two patterns. And is, is this idea that because there, there is gonna be too many decisions that need to be made and not everyone has the, the headspace to participate in, in all of them, uh, like people complain a lot of voter apathy of low participation in decisions. But when you look at the economics of it quite often like the amount of time and energy would require you to gather the information to understand what's going on and then to go and vote is a lot more expensive. Like that time is a lot more expensive than the the value that you will be able to extract from the decision going your way. So so because of that, a lot of DAOs are defaulting to delegation, but delegation has all the same issues that we have in politics these days. Is the people you're delegated to might not necessarily represent your interests. Maybe you don't really know the candidates, they are far removed. Um, So you're kind of trusting a stranger and so on. And instead of that, there is this uh, pattern of liquid democracy that works very much the way we humans make decisions. So if you think if you wanna watch a movie, you're not necessarily gonna go and try to find the biggest expert in, in movies. And, and ask them or delegate your decision to them because maybe they have a different taste. You don't really know what they like and so on. Instead of that, you probably know a friend that's close to you that might not be the biggest expert, but they know more about movies than you do. Or, and, and also they have a similar taste. So you go and delegate that to them. And then you have a different friend who knows a lot about restaurants or whatever. And so if you want to go and find a new restaurant in town, you go like, hey mate, uh, which, uh, which restaurant would you recommend? And that person in turn has probably from their sphere of influence if they're really into restaurants or really into movies, they know they have other people that they look up to that also sort of agree with their taste, with their, with their values, but are probably the bigger expert. So if you can do these chains of delegation, the, the system becomes really good at spotting local expertise that are value aligned um, and you can do that a lot better than by just choosing a delegate. And then the other thing is giving people the ability to, to change that vote whenever they want, either by voting themselves them, themselves directly or choosing to delegate to, to someone else. Uh, and so these creates uh, essentially a, a very different incentive to around, around the governance and the decision-making that is a lot more fluid because it's more fluid, it's more adaptative, but also is very good at managing the amount of attention that you need to invest while still ensuring that the majority of people can have uh, decisions that are representative of their, their values, their principles, their, their interests and so on.
0: And that's very interesting. So would this be a way of thinking about like if I got it right, that you know if I delegate, I basically give somebody else the ability to vote for me in a kind of liquid model, this could you know be a delegated further. And two, my vote actually is not being voted, but it's being kind of defaulted to a decision that I can still override, would that be it? So, you know, I delegate to you, it's like, I'm really not sure about this topic or this vote, or in general, in this DAO, I'm not, you know, I'm just recently involved, I delegate to you, you delegate somebody else, vote comes up, the person actually doesn't vote, but sets the default vote for everyone that directly or indirectly delegated to this person so when i get to vote i actually look at the recommended vote which is like the restaurant you or your buddy that knows more recommended me to go to and then i go like yeah you know this makes sense and you know i'm actually going to go and eat chinese tonight or you're going to go well i'm really not up for chinese i'm really <laughs> voting you know another direction is that a way of thinking about it
1: yeah absolutely
0: all right very very interesting um, along this line of choices and voting um, when you look at the different uh, dao frameworks so to speak and i know that this is also you know very nebulous kind of definition what's actually a dao framework but i'm thinking here on basic you know contracts from comparing aragon to moloch you know th- the main contracts out there do you have any personal preference on any of them? Uh, I know that you spent some time in Aragon and you know why would you choose one or the other? If not, or on top of that, is there in your perspective, one or another that you would recommend for very specific different use cases saying, hey, you wanna do this, better you use this as a starting point, um, or you wanna do that, better use the other one. What are your thoughts here?
1: Yeah, I mean, a few, a few basic pointers is Gnosis and and, uh, Gnosis and Zodiac are the, probably the, the most flexible one, as they are more a standard than a collection of modules that you can do many things with, but they, they are relatively advanced. Uh, like, you probably require a, a dev. If you're, not, if you're not a dev, they're not the most friendly. Uh, or if you're really trying to create a DAO. If you if all you want is a multi-stick wallet and and then a few people who approve decisions, then the, the Gnosis safe is a fantastic primitive and they have tremendous adoption. But the the Zodiac modules like all the extensions, they, they're good, but you will require a good, te- uh, good amount of technical knowledge to use them. Then you have the the other ones well moloch is very interesting and and especially the the DAO house uh, which is a sort of no-code interface built on top of, uh, on top of Moloch is, is very good, but Moloch is very opinionated in, in that there, there is kind of like a specific way to work around them. You, you need to buy your way into the DAO and, and then you can rage quit if you want. Like you can, if you decide to leave before a proposal is enacted, you can kind of take the assets and so on. But it's still very much, uh, it, you need to work with that pattern. And if that's the pattern that you're after, then it works. And, and that works really well for sort of like investment DAOs or these situations. But if you're onboarding a whole bunch of contributors who might not be wealthy, it is not really, it's not really ideal. And I have that situation sometimes with R&DOW. is a lot of people who wouldn't necessarily buy them their way into the DAO, but they might still want to contribute. Maybe they come from low-income resource countries and so on, and we still want to enable them to work. Uh, without the need for them to have assets beforehand then there is uh there is colony who's launching now uh, a new product and is is very interesting colony is very geared towards this fractalization that i was talking about and being able to kind of create sub teams and that's very much the direction that they're going and and i like that a lot about their approach but they but equally they're very opinionated and historically they've been very closed so it's most of most of the things either they build themselves or are not possible and and so with their new product is still kind of early stages and and there is a lot of functionalities that are are not yet available um, i'm hoping that as they evolve they they become a little bit more open with the ecosystem and so on but i was i was actually exploring using their the new uh the new colony stack for a project recently and i had to give up because their the different voting reputation models just didn't adapt for my use cases a little bit too opinionated and and then with Aragon, which is the kind of like the other big one i'm i'm really not a fan of their current products uh, i mean for disclosure i there is a new product coming in that i was involved in in thinking about so a lot of my ideas are planted into that but i don't know if that product is ever going to come and see the light of day and and the other two products that exist like the Aragon V1 that's, that's client is a good framework, but you have to you pay, you have to use gas fees to vote. Uh, and so that means that if you're trying to sit on Ethereum, it's almost not viable. You'll have to, making any decision, it becomes extremely expensive for the community. Uh, and then you can use it in other frameworks. And and it's good, it's a, re, it's a, it's a, it's a very good base. Uh, it just so happens that it's not really being maintained anymore. It, it's a product that, hasn't really had any of any work put into it in the last two years. So it's a little bit aged and, uh, and, and out of date. Not not badly, uh, but they essentially Aragon figure out it was a dead end and they started developing another product. The next product is, I really don't like it. In my opinion, it's a disaster. It's very opinionated, it, it doesn't, is missing a lot of functionalities and so on. And for me, it was a, very much a faux pas. Uh, and, and hopefully in, in the future, they will release the new one that that I'm really excited about, but I don't know what's happening with that and and a few other members of the team has al- have also moved on since. so to be to be seen when and if that launches.
0: Good. All right. Um, that's interesting to 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 kind of hear, and it's one of the things that I'm exploring. Um, you obviously also you know opinionated about it. How does a chef come to have an opinion about? DAO
1: frameworks? (laughs) So what what brought me into food uh, was the molecular cuisine. I I found that out as a kid, and I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. And molecular cuisine at the time was this space where they were combining culture and science and innovation and really rethinking things from first principles in a very creative way. Uh, And then I went into the industry. I became a chef, worked in different restaurants, and I was chasing these ideal for a while, but what I encountered was that in most organizations, you had someone at the top who had been very creative once, but right now was mostly very stressed, trying to come up with the next menu and so on. And, and at the same time, you had a bunch of younger people who had loads of ideas, but they had no clue how to translate that ideas into anything good, and no one was listening to them anyway. And, and so there was this very dysfunctional pattern that I saw over and over uh, across different places. And, and eventually I found my way into uh, an innovation lab in Web2. So they, they had a restaurant that had been voted best restaurant of the world. And then on the back of that, they started to create other restaurants and books and TV shows and then products for, for supermarkets and then consumer electronics and anything, anything else that you can imagine related to food. Uh, And they had like this whole uh, corporate now with different business lines and there was a small innovation department. So I joined that and four months into that job, they end up firing the whole research and development team because they had had a huge conflict with the owner of the company that had become a multimillionaire and was not sharing rewards with the head of innovation. And anyway, because of this conflict, kind of like the whole thing collapsed and I was left as the the only member left of the team uh, from one day to another. Like I arrived to the office and that was it. And I never saw anyone else again. They're like they just didn't show up that day, and, that, uh, and so I was left as the only person in the company that had any idea how the innovation department worked, uh, even though I was a early 20s kid. And, and so that meant I had to onboard the, the new team because no one else could tell them this is how we do things around here. Uh, but that also put me in this incredibly lucky position where I could sort of adapt the, what we used to do here to, uh, to match some of the ideas or at least beliefs that I had. And at the time I was learning about agile and design thinking, because I had a lot of friends in the uh, London startup scene. And, and so that was kind of like the beginning of the shift of trying to, to set up this new team and, and get the new innovation team to work well together. Uh, and I became really fascinated about organization design as, as we tried to change things and ourselves as a team, I kind of told them this is the situation and so on. And, and we tried to develop our own processes. So we were becoming like this very empowered autonomous team until then the, the, the different other senior people in the organization saw that and they each wanted to have a, their influence and so on. And, and so it became very, very political and a lot of time fighting with bureaucracy and then trying to change as well the way other units in the organization work to incorporate a little bit more innovation practices, to be more participative, to give more space for people to share their ideas and so on. And, uh, and I spent the next two years doing that, uh, then left, uh, tried to become an organizational design consultant, uh, fell completely on my face because I was a chef and I had no clue how to do that, at least how to sell it. Uh, but then there was a professor in experimental psychology that took me under his wing, did a residency there for a year, then met a professor in the business school side in Oxford through that, that helped me to write that ended up becoming a, an article in HBR. And then that gave me the ability to publish some work uh, to do some workshops for executives through the university. And eventually through that became an organization designer and, and I spent the last eight years doing that which going through self-management and systems thinking and all of these theories that I was looking as the antidote to all the bureaucracy and these functions I had seen. Which has kind of been my questings uh, eventually led me down the Web three rabbit hole and discovering DAOs and all of that.
0: So very good, and uh, I bet you have you know enjoyed a, a great deal of like personal experimentation and learning and and freedom in the process, right? And you know whenever I talk to people about you know w- work in the Web three space, um, I you know always try to find out, you know, apart from their personal fascination, um, kind of like I would describe myself as so well with this kind of geeky fascination with new technology and new ways of doing things. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, have a utopian and a lot of people that have a really dystopian perspective to the future, right? Like when you when you look at, you know, how this all can turn out. And, you know, it reminded me that, you know, I saw, I think it was Mark Andreessen a few days ago, who tweeted, you know, the iron law of um, oligarchy and that, you know, no matter what you do and no matter how you organize it, will always end up in the centralization of power, right? Um, basically saying, you know, if you look at it, you're gonna decentralize the hardware layer and, you know, the storage layer and the protocol layer and app layer. But in the end, power will always tend to centralize and you won't be able to really change that it's you know it's kind of the the law of nature what do you believe the future will look like
1: so i mean more more important than what i believe i would quote there is a, a fantastic article in 2012 that actually uh, by a scientist that ad- addresses this point specifically, and is extraordinarily smart commentary, at least in my opinion, that the we have been studying the commons for, for a very long time and the tragedy of the commons and how people abuse common resources and so on. And the what can actually make the difference, you can have these design of institutions and create different rules that try to mitigate that. And we have uh, check and balances in democracies and so on. But end of the day, the oligarchy ends up controlling all of these systems sooner or later except if the system itself can can become a lot inte- a lot more intelligent if we can the more we can enable collective intelligence the more we can fight these centralization of power and with with DAOs is I mean the, the future is still very much uh, the toss of a coin. I don't know what side is is gonna land. Some days I'm incredibly optimistic, some days I see what's happening, it's like it's all just an absolute mess and might as well just I don't know, party and get high and fuck it, like <laughs> it's done. And but, the, but you know, I, I keep doing what I do because I, I believe that we still have a chance, if nothing else. And, and with all the experimentation going now in governance where in the last two months, we have had probably more experimentation in governance than in the past 2000 years. Uh, and these collective intelligence, collective decision-making things. And we're only, only really getting started with that. Uh, now that we're starting to, to get a little bit more serious combining influence from algorithmic governance like some of the learnings from the world of ai and so on even so we don't need to go that complex into neural networks and so on but just really understanding how can we aggregate individual intelligence in the individual participation and so on to to enable the collective to be more intelligent and and there is a lot that can be done there there is a lot of low-hanging fruit that is not so much in the culture that we have right now, is something that unfortunately not many people are, are yet realizing how much of an impact it can have because we're so used to to the web two patterns. We're so used to hierarchies. But but there is a lot of curiosity in general around DAOs, and I'm hoping that we can just push that, that curiosity one tiny step further to be curiosity about collective intelligence and curiosity about different ways of operating and if we can move fast enough with with our endow and initiatives like ours to to provide those solutions to make it easy access to have the tools that enable those different processes then then hopefully we can tap into the window of opportunity Uh, instead of people just defaulting to the other practices, we can be, well, here is an alternative that actually works Uh, and we have tried it and here is examples and case studies and and here is some academic research and really have all the arguments and and make it really easy for people to to try and adopt. Uh, And that's what we're trying to do.
0: Daniel, we have a chance, Ospina. Thank you so much for this talk. This was very, very interesting.
1: No, thank you very much for having me, Tim. Likewise.